My name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Bed Crime Crime Stories, Stories, a weekly true crime podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Hello. Hi. Oh, I didn't tell you guys the exciting news. What's the exciting news? I have doubled my happy pills. Well, I call them my magic pills now. My antidepressants. (laughs) They're my magic pills. Nice. And I started that last night and now I feel today. I feel really good. Do you feel better already? Do you feel like I feel more positive? Well, we were talking about not so positive things before, so I'm going to say not yet. Not yet. But we're going to have to see this evening with the recording session if you yeah, feel more positive. Yeah. Um, that's good. I, I guess I didn't think about that. <laughs> we were we were talking about not so happy things, but um, yeah, I will. I'll definitely let you know at the end yeah. of today's recording if I feel that there is a uh, palpable difference. Yeah. But that's good. You feel better, though? I feel better. I woke up and I was like, damn, I feel like a new person. <laughs> I feel like a new lady. I feel great. Yeah. I, um, I like my antidepressants because I feel like it's just, like, just takes the edge off. It's, like, just enough. But I don't know. I think I might need to... I think I might need a, a new adjustment. I've not <gasps> been... I've not been great. So that was the thing. I have been on them for a year. And mm-hmm. then I've reached the point where, like, I guess your body gets so used to it right and then i had like a almost like a psychotic break where i was crying <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. but my doctor was like all right well we'll double it right so i doubled it but then she was like also like i recommend therapy too yeah because she's like therapy alone doesn't just work and like mm-hmm. antidepressants alone don't work but like together they yeah well i will say wonders. that i have i have talked to my therapist about it she said that she doesn't want me to adjust yet like, we have other things that we need to work through before mm. she's ready to say, let's do that. Um, she's comfortable with it just taking the edge off her right now because we have some other we have some other shit we need to do. <laughs> so, so we have work to do. So I just I still got to find one. Yeah. I love, love, love I know you had recommend. I know you had recommended yours to me. Yeah. She's phenomenal. Like, phenomenal. I love her. But mm. yeah. mental health, it's important. Yeah. Absolutely. And absolutely, this panty. Absolutely. In this mm-hmm. pan- panty. In this panty of ours. <sighs> but anyway, mm-hmm. so I hope everybody is, I hope everybody's having a better day than us, apparently. Um, but hey, no. I'm having a good day. I was going to say, yes, no, Nikki's having a good day. Better day than Charlie is, apparently. <gasps> but um, anyhow, anyhow, I'm, I'm having Don't a better. so cute right now? <laughs> It's like the second time we've caught you doing this. Very Jovi is very like full, 80s yeah, looking. Yeah, she's like full Unabomber. With her hood pulled up, tied completely she around. She doesn't even go here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely the vibes. That's definitely uh, the vibes. Like my hoodie smells so good because it's freshly washed. <gasps> I do so love a good like, freshly uh, laundered yeah. thing. And um, like I'm just doing this because I'm really enjoying how it smells. That's like so fresh weird. bed sheets. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we recently changed our duvet cover, and it was like it just felt so extra snuggly that first night we got into bed. I was like, mm, uh-huh. this is the stuff. Especially this if you is have, what dreams are made of. This is what Lizzie McGuire was thinking about. Especially if you have dogs to sleep in bed with you. Yeah. Like the first night after you wash your bed sheets, you're just like, uh-huh. yeah. there's not dog fur on everything. Exactly. Yes. <gasps> oh my gosh. My sweet, my sweet girl. I come home yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. I let the dogs out there. They, they wrestle on the bed and she got, she likes to rub on my boyfriend's eye mask. Okay. Like his little sleep mask. And she comes out and it's like, under her arm and then like across almost like a cross bag <laughs> a cross body so she's bag. got like this like eye mask on her and i just left it on her until he got home and i was like look how cute she is <laughs> but she does it every single time she literally will just get them stuck on her mm. it's sweet they are delightful these pups mm-hmm. of ours mm-hmm. well 
I guess we should go ahead and get things started on the Muppet Show tonight. Um, so, Nikki, you can go ahead and kick things off with tonight's true crime headlines. All right. So this is one that I sent to you guys last night. Mm-hmm. Well, I sent you the story. Right. I didn't send you this article because this article was literally posted today, the day that we are recording. Mm-hmm. Oh, September 15th. Mm-hmm. 2021. Mm-hmm. It's a Wednesday. So Mo Moab PD described incident between Gabby and her boyfriend as mental health crisis. I actually read this article before it was posted on a local group that I'm part of. I saw it. I don't know. So this was posted on 2KU TV. And it says an incident last month involving a missing woman and her boyfriend in Moab was described by police officers as a mental health crisis and no charges were pursued um, against either of them, according to a police report. Mm-hmm. Instead, according to the report obtained Wednesday by Two News via a public records request, officers instructed Gabby and Brian to separate for the night and regain control of their anxiety. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Gabby has been reported missing over the weekend, and police in Florida say that Brian is a person of interest in the case and hindering the investigation because of his refusal to provide information mm-hmm. about what happened. Yeah. So this is Brian Laundry and uh, Gabby, Gabby Petito, right? Petito, is yeah. Petito's last name. Yeah, this is a that's a crazy, crazy, crazy story. And I know her parents are in the Northeast. I want to say they're New Hampshire, New Long Hampshire. Island, Long Island. Island. Okay, that's right. I'm thinking of another case is New Hampshire. Sorry, Long oh, Island. Um, her parents are in Long Island. His parents live in Florida in Northport. They were cross country. Yes. Sightseeing in her van. She owned the van. Van does have Florida license plates on it, though. He returned back to his parents' house recently. Mm-hmm. No Gabby. Mm-hmm. And now he is at his parents' house, and they say they're gracefully fading into the background, so that way the the girl's family can take. No. And it's like, no, no. Nay, nay. Come forward, because yeah. uh, you're probably involved. Yeah. And uh, I know he's already retained a lawyer. He's not talking. So, yeah, talking. it should be. This is gonna, I, this one's going to be an interesting one. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, and I always say this, and I feel like I'm jinxing these cases, so now I'm afraid I don't want to say it now, but I, I feel like this one's going to possibly get figured out pretty soon, because he's he's putting himself in a shitty position, like, immediately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody's just like... Like, we, we got it, bro. We we see you. I was like, I, I don't think that you need a lawyer if you did nothing wrong. We're watching you. I have a friend who lives in Northport, and she's like, is it bad that I want to try and find the house so I can see the van? And I'm like, you're so fucked up. I'm like, it's probably not going to be hard for you to find, and probably it's just, like, surrounded by news fans Oh, and probably. Stuff. It's probably I'm already sure been... took the van into... Yeah. The police impound, I'm yeah. sure, yes. It's probably already been yes. impounded. One of the, like I said, one of the groups that I belong to, they've been posting articles about it. Like, every single time there's a new article updated, they post it. And somebody's like, break out the luminol. <laughs> Something suspicious. Like, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. This is... Mm-hmm. It's gonna be bad. I feel so fucking awful for her family. Mm-hmm. Like ridiculously awful for her fucking family. My friend works for the local uh, police department. Mm -hmm. So she's the person that goes to like crime scenes and basically Mm -hmm. like reconfigures the things that happened. Mm -hmm. But like she literally like when she had saw that I posted it, she had responded back to me and I was like, it's sus. Yeah. Like nothing about it makes fucking sense. Oh yeah. No, it's as Bailey Sarian would say, it's suspicious. Yeah, it is. Highly suspicious, but we'll see how it ends up. Yeah, he's he's raising red flags all over the place. 
Yeah. But it's going to definitely be interesting. The next few weeks on this case, I think, are going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. my second story was posted today, September 15th, mm-hmm. 2021, the day that we are recording. <laughs> and this was posted on People. And it says, people, Florida Police people Praise. People. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Florida Police Praise Brave Canine Officers Who Took Bullets Met for Deputies During Carjacking. It says two canine officers, Axe and Endo, are recovering from injuries received. Yeah, no, they're fine. They're heroes. I was about to be really upset that you read that. I would never, I would never. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. Two canine officers, Axe and Endo, are recovering from injuries injuries received while responding to an armed carjacking that ended in a shootout. Two Florida canine officers are being praised for their brave service after taking bullets that were met for deputies during a carjacking that ended in a shootout. Babies. Mm-hmm. They're so brave. Look, they're getting extra loves and bonies. Oh, yeah. Well, it looks like one of them... Little snacks. I don't know if they're Malinois or if they're German Shepherds, because I know that they, they tend to use... They use either. I've actually yeah. seen them use labs, too, but... Oh, my God. Babies. Malinois are the... Yeah. They, 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 they are my favorites. So, um, on Friday at around 11.30 p.m., police responded to a call from a Lyft driver on reports of a carjacking near Daytona, according to a release from the um, local sheriff's office. The Lyft driver explained to authorities that he had picked up a passenger and drove him to his requested location. However, when the driver arrived to the remote stretch of Reed Ellis Road in the Austin area, the passenger allegedly held a gun to his head and forced him to get out of his white Kia Sedona minivan before stealing it. Oh, really? You went... I was going to say you went to that distance for a fucking Sedona? Yeah. So the lift <laughs> the lift driver then dialed police for help 15 minutes later. It says police tracked down the stolen vehicles, but, but the suspect, a man identified as a 21-year-old, allegedly fled the vehicle, running into a wooded area to hide. It took 15 minutes for him to call cops? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was in shock and was, like, calling... Or him. maybe he was in the middle of nowhere, didn't have service, so he kept walking yeah. until he had service. All I'll right. be honest. I'm like, he was... Sometimes I call my mom and I don't know what to do. I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, it says, officials state that after being located by law enforcement... Um, by law enforcement, overheard and tracked down uh, Deputy A.J. Davis and K-9 Axe after 2 p.m. Or, sorry, 2 a.m., it says Singleton appeared from the bushes and allegedly opened fire, shooting Axe in the face. Baby! <laughs> so. Sweetie. It says after the VSO SWAT team, drone operators, and the additional law enforcement arrived at the scene, gunfire was allegedly exchanged between the police and Singleton before the suspect was taken down with multiple gunshot wounds. Um, it says Canine Indo sustained injuries during the shootout. Which... They only, I think they only have, oh, here's, here's, here's the one puppy. This is Axe. <gasps> Look at his little cheeky. He's all shaved and herded. They're both German Shepherds for everybody. Buggy They're sweet little babies. They are fine. And then this is, this is Indo. Look at his little paws. He's like a little baby. Yeah, yeah. Look at those ears. So they, ears. He's like satellite ears. So, um, I guess that guy. He, I mean, 
he was transported to the hospital for help. Uh, so, well, as long as the dogs nah. are okay. Yeah, the dogs are fine. Yeah, we don't care um, so, actually, it says he's been <laughs> he arrested. things, and I don't care. He he's been arrested dogs, so. and faces charges, including armed uh, carjacking and use of a deadly weapon against a police canine. Mm-hmm. Because you can be charged with that, asshole. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I always thought that it was actually assault of a police officer. I'm surprised that they have special uh, charges specifically for right? a canine officer. I thought that it was like Maybe they were treated as police officers maybe it's a florida thing i don't know possibly possibly but i mean that's like those are those are always the ones that i feel like because i mean they whenever anybody mentions the word dog in a news story i'm like and what happened to the dog did y'all see the video of the dog that like there's a suspect and the 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 police officer kept trying to get the german shepherd to go to the guy and he kept running past the guy no and then running away and i was like he don't want to work he's like i quit can i go get a can i get a cookie he's like "Mm, no yeah Poor so, Bubby. Yeah. But that's my story. They lived. They're adorable, and they're probably going to get lots and lots of loves. Yeah. You know. I wonder if the one who... I guess it would depend on the um, extent of his injuries, if he's going to be retired now. The one who got shot in the face. Bubba Boos. I know. Oh, his little I, shaved I wanna... face with his little cheeky injury. I know. Ooh. You're so sweet. Baby. Mm. Okay. Well, the reason that we're all here tonight... <laughs> For tonight's big crime story. For this, for this, we're going to send it over to Charlie. Yes, yes, yes. So I have a interesting story tonight. I wanted to... <laughs> sorry. This is going to sound really stupid. I was going to say, I, wanna, I wanted to pay a little homage to my home state of New Jersey. And I was like, I just kind of Googled, I'm like, true crime stories in New Jersey. Because I just wanted to be like, I'm feeling nostalgic lately. Um, and I just, you know, I want to give some props to home, but you know, is it really props to home when you're talking about a murder that took place there? You know, I guess it depends on who you ask, right? So, uh, the story that I'm going to tell you guys all tonight is a murder for hire plot, Ooh, right? Which those. is kind of interesting because one of the last stories I told about New Jersey was also a murder for it hire was, plot. Yeah. And it was a husband, uh, hiring somebody to kill um, his wife and this is the same exact type of a situation and actually when I was doing my research there was a whole news article comparing this case to the case that I did um, at the beginning of our podcast which I thought was pretty interesting interesting yeah very interesting so uh, this is um, it's a story of Fred Newlander and his murder for hire plot against his wife so uh, my sources for the story this evening are Murderpedia, Wikipedia for fact checking, and then my primary sources were SouthJerseyNews.com and CourtTV.com. And away we go. So, on November 1st, 1994, Carol Newlander, 52-year-old businesswoman and wife of local rabbi, was found bludgeoned to death on the living room floor of her home in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Carol had founded two local bakeries, so she was pretty well known in the area. People knew who she was. Um, she was uh, very popular in the area. People uh, never had anything bad to say about Carol. And even though she had sold both of the businesses, she continued to work as um, a manager for both of the locations. She was like the operating manager for both of the bakeries that she had oh, founded. Okay. Yeah. So she found them, opened them, and then when she sold the businesses, she continued to work there as the manager. Yeah. Um, Carol and Fred had three children. Benjamin, who at the time of this situation was attending the University of Michigan. Rebecca, who was living in nearby Philadelphia. And Matthew, who was an EMT with a local ambulance company. And he lived at home with Fred and Carol Newlander. 
so where Cherry Hill is, if you know the shape of the state of New Jersey, um, it kind of goes in the middle and kind of bumps out. Cherry Hill is the like point of the inn on the west coast of New Jersey. And I love directly- how you're doing hand movements. Like- <laughs> I know, like you people can see what I'm doing. Um, and directly across the river from where Cherry Hill is, is the city of Philadelphia. Okay. So it's a suburb of Phil- Philadelphia, even though it is actually a I've town in to New go Jersey. I've always wanted to Philadelphia. I much. No? No, no. Nothing. I'm not a Philly fan. Um, I, But I am also, I'm like a New York girl. And I think that when you're a person who you kind of prefer one city over the other usually. So I'm a New York fan. That's how I feel. I feel like the Phillies and New York people are very like... Mm -hmm. I mean, usually the the real rivalry is between New York and Boston. That's a big rivalry. But there's something about like... And I I think it's very particular to New Jerseyans because we're right smack dab in the middle of the two major cities. Like you kind of choose who you align with. I... My whole family is from North Jersey, so I align more with the new york side of things i know jovi is the same um and then you have some people who are from south jersey who are definitely more philly people like our very good friend is from a town not far from cherry hill and she's a philly person so it's like you're you're kind of one or the other um i've gone to philly multiple times i will say like philly to me is synonymous with elementary school field trips so we used to go to Philly all the time on field trips and go to like Independence Hall and the, the see what's that bell the I'm like what is that bell I've lived bell. in Florida since what's I was, that bell <laughs> see I've I think I've lived in Florida since I was like eight mm-hmm. seven or eight so it's like Florida's all I know so like literally going other places is so exciting to me I will say as a person who's not from the area getting to go to Philadelphia and doing like the historical stuff That's is very fucking cool. Yeah. I'm not I will not take away the fact that the historical stuff in Philly is pretty fucking cool. But like I said growing up there we did it all the time so I'm like So it becomes like the Oh yeah. yay. This is the room where they signed the Declaration of Independence. I've seen this 10,000 times in my life. Yeah. It becomes old, I, you know. What I can understand. You know. You know. Yeah. Um but anyhow Getting back to the Newlanders. So, on the night of the murder, Carol's husband, Fred, came home from about uh, at about 9.20 p.m. from the Reformed Jewish Synagogue Congregation Mkor Shalom, where he was the senior rabbi, to find Carol lying face down in a pool of blood. Cherry Hill police arrived on the scene only two minutes after receiving Fred's 911 call, followed by the Ashland Ambulance Squad. Matthew, their son, was working the evening that his mother was murdered and had heard the call that there was a report of an injured person at his home address. (gasps) He and his crew were dispatched to the scene. When they arrived, police would not let him into the home, however, because they knew that his mother was inside already deceased. So they did bar him from entering the home. Yeah. The autopsy concluded that she died due to multiple strikes to the head with a blunt object. There was no sign of forced entry, but there were signs of a struggle at the scene. Police start to investigate the case, quickly conclude that this was not a random act of violence, but that Carol was targeted specifically. The initial belief was that the robbery, uh, that the motive was robbery due to the fact that Carol had recently begun to take home receipts from the bakeries following recent robberies at the businesses. So they, uh, they had an inkling that it was robbery and even more specifically somebody who knew that she had started to do this possibly so then they could find out correct correct Mm -hmm. so her purse and some cash that were at the home were missing 
But other valuables, including the diamond ring that was on her finger, were left alone. Hmm. Um, So the next month in December, a $35,000 reward was announced for anybody who was able to come forward with information that could lead law enforcement to the perpetrators. In February 1995, only four months after his wife's murder, Fred Newlander was named a person of interest. Um, He was one of several individuals being investigated in connection with Carol's death. Uh, But his inclusion on the list was due to information that had up to this point been only a rumor. And that information was that Fred Newlander, respected rabbi, was carrying on multiple extramarital affairs. (gasps) that's like against their like oh that's against yeah that's against a lot of religions (laughs) not just judaism that's not cool yeah ain't cool ain't cool especially when you're the rabbi i'm just like when i think jewish i think of like and i think that that's probably from all the adam sandler movies i've watched i mean honestly probably yeah a fiddler on the roof sounds crazy no (laughs) sorry Maybe that's Wait. why I did this because I did that the last time. Do y'all like him? Do, do we you like, like Adam Sandler? Oh no, I do like Adam Sandler. Okay, okay. Yeah. There was someone recently that I met that I didn't like him, and I was like, I don't understand. I will say so. This is my this is my opinion on Adam Sandler, as if everybody needs to know. I love his old movies, like Billy Madison, oh, yeah. Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy. <gasps> Big Daddy's um, a good one. I love Fifty uh, First Dates is one of my favorites. Yep. Wedding Singer is one of my favorites. The song at the end. <laughs> the song at the end of that movie, Girl Old With You, I want that to be mine and my boyfriend's like wedding song. I love that song so much. Every single time I listen to it, it actually makes me cry and it's the cheesiest thing on the planet. His new stuff, though, I don't really like. Really? Yeah. Like, he has that one... Like, I don't like any of like his movies. You didn't like Grown Ups? No. Yeah. Bleh. I don't like any of the movies that he came out with Jennifer Aniston. Like, none of those movies that he came out with Jennifer Aniston. Aniston. Um, He did the one where she pretended to be his girlfriend or his wife. I don't remember. I don't like any of those movies. I don't know. They're not funny. Though, I will say, shockingly enough, he came out with a really stupid movie on Netflix called Sandy Wexler, and it was hysterical. The do-over was funny, too. The do-over. Because I did like the one where... He was the he worked at the hotel, uh, bed bedtime stories or. I remember when that yes I remember is when that, that what movie it's called Bed- mm-hmm, bedtime mm-hmm. stories. Oh my god, I love Mr. Deeds. <gasps> yeah, very very sneaky, Mr. Deeds. <laughs> you underestimate the level of my sneakiness, Mr. Deeds. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the movie? Just go with it. Just go with it is a bad bad movie. Him and Jennifer Aniston. But no, Fifty First Dates is that's a classic, phenomenal. His movies that's with what, Drew Barrymore, fantastic. His movies with Jennifer Aniston, not so much. Fifty First Dates is one of my favorite movies. I could watch it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. I remember because I hadn't seen it until within the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody told me that it was freaking sad. But beautiful. Yeah. Like, oh. I watched it for the first time. I sobbed. Oh, yeah. I cry every time. So hard. Okay, but do you want to know the saddest Adam Sandler movie? Huh. Click. Have you ever yeah. seen Click? I haven't seen Click. Yeah. Okay. If you ever need to cry but can't, like, if there's something stuck in your brain that's just, like, not allowing you to get the tears out, put on Click. I went to go see it thinking it was going to be a fun romp. <laughs> Like, 
three quarters of the way through the movie, I was racking sobs in the movie theater. Like, oh my you know when you cry and you're making noise involuntarily? Yes. You're like, <gasps> like, that's legit how hard I cried at Click. Click fucking killed me. Have you seen Coco? I haven't seen Coco, but I heard that it's that type of Yeah, sound. so Coco, yes. my boyfriend and I went and saw it in the movies. Mm-hmm. And like, literally... There was a part where, like, you get all the way through the movie, and then the saddest part happens, so I start fucking sobbing, and then I bust out laughing, because I was like, I thought I was going to make it through a Pixar movie without crying. Yeah, no such luck. And I just... You didn't like it. You didn't like Coco? I didn't see Coco. I thought it was boring. I fell asleep. It was was so beautifully done. I didn't see Coco. Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorites. I've heard great things. I haven't seen it. It's not my jam. Well, I heard great things, too. (laughs) And I'm then sorry. I seen it and I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. So it's to I'm each sorry. Own, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> to each his own. It's okay. It's okay. I like plenty of movies that nobody does. It's fine. I feel that. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah, click. Saddest movie. Sad. One of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Like, up there is this one of the saddest movies I've ever watched. <sighs> Will depress you. Okay. I'll Will make sure you. to watch it when I need a good cry. When out. you need a good cry, watch click. It's fucking depressing. Um Okay. A popular local radio host came forward later that year, so later in 1995, and admitted that she was one of the women who had been carrying on an affair with Fred Newlander. Elaine Sonsini was a co-host of a morning show on an AM radio station in the Cherry Hill area. She stated that she began an affair with Fred in 1992 after the death of her husband. She had gone to the rabbi for comfort following his death. Yeah. So like looking to him for counseling, for comfort after the death of her husband. And this relationship kind of blossomed from that. This started, like I said, well before the death of his wife and continued for a couple of months after her murder. She only broke off the relationship after finding out that he, that she was not his only mistress. Oh my God. Yeah. So it took years before they finally char arrested and charged Fred with her murder. Imagine being the mistress and being upset that you find out that he has other mistresses. Yeah, Are you for real? I know. Like, if you're like, a mistress, you should know. Sorry, I just had to, like, make a face to that because I was I just know. like... I know. Yeah. You can't yeah. be upset because, I mean... Mm-hmm. That's what you want. He was cheating on me. I mean, he's cheating on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it took four years... After they, after his wife died, before they finally charged and arrested Fred with her murder. It was September 10th, 1998. Camden County Prosecutor Lee A. Solomon said marital problems and a desire by Fred to leave his wife for another woman, Elaine, are among the suspected motives. Um, He states, quote, we allege that he conspired to have her killed and played the part of accomplice in that murder. Um, He called the evidence against him, quote, overwhelming. So basically, they knew that he was having these affairs. They suspected him almost four months, or they did four months after she was killed, that he was involved somehow. But it wasn't until the two co-conspirators came forward and confessed and pointed their fingers at Fred that they finally had enough evidence to arrest him. He, and we'll see later in the story, but like he sets up an alibi. There's, there's no hard evidence until these guys finally come forward. Elaine Sonsini told investigators she gave Fred an ultimatum to either quit his marriage or face losing their relationship. 
Uh, Solomon said that Fred pleaded with Elaine to trust him. Quote, their problem would be solved by December of 1994. His wife was murdered a month before. Yeah. After many delays in the trial and a motion to move the venue of the trial from Cherry Hill in Camden County to Freehold, New Jersey in Monmouth County, the trial began in October 2001. So at this point, they denied the motion to move the venue. The judge told them to proceed in Camden County, that everything would be okay, and let's let's get this underway. Because it had already been at this point, it's 2001, she died in 1994. So Jesus. it was already seven years. I just don't... I don't understand why it takes so long sometimes. Well, like I said, it was four years before they even arrested him. Yeah, And then you figure still. it was another three. Well, it was... Oh, well, I guess three years. Okay. Yeah, and it was less than three years before they were going to start, but they kept delaying it, delaying it, delaying it. And then 9-11 happened, so they delayed it an extra two months. It was like a whole thing. Mm, okay. Anyhow. Um, Fred Newlander was accused of paying two men, Len Jenoff and Paul Daniels, $30,000 to murder his wife. Which I think is funny because the reward that he was offering for information on his wife was $30,000. Hmm. Coincidence? Hmm. I think not. It was June. Uh, it was in June of 1993 when Fred first befriended Len Jenoff. Um, Len was still working to better himself after he had a, a really bad bout with alcoholism that left him jobless, broke, and living in a halfway home. At their first meeting... Uh, they were having a three-hour discussion at Newlander's office at the synagogue. Len said he was overwhelmed by how much the rabbi seemed to care for him and concern for his well-being. He said, quote, he made me feel as if I had known him for 20 years. Um, he said it took time, but eventually Fred appealed to Len's faith and his devotion to defending Judaism. So Fred told Len that there was a woman in Cherry Hill that could destroy a lot of people and a lot of Jews and asked Len if he would kill for the state of Israel. So Len said that he would. Um, in early summer of 1994, Fred took Len on a drive to his home and told Len that the woman that he said he would kill, the woman he agreed to kill, was Fred's own wife, Carol Newlander. He basically he basically colored it in a way that like she was trying to He's remove like, traditions of Jews and like make them not as um, faithful anymore. She was like trying to influence people to like turn against God and blah 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 like oh, a whole no. thing. And basically because this guy Len was already so like fucked up in the head, and then he came to trust the rabbi so much. Yeah. Um the rabbi was able to basically be like, she's trying to destroy the Jews in the area. We need to kill her. And he's like, yeah, sure. Let's kill her. And then it turns out to be his wife. Oh my gosh. Yes. So at their meeting one week later, after, like I said, he drove Len to his home. Uh, one week later they met, the two men began to flesh out the details of the murder plot. Len wanted another person to help with the killing. So he actually eventually recruited his roommate, Paul Daniels, who also wound up confessing to his role in the crime. But Fred said that he would not increase the $30,000 payment. So either Len gets the thirty grand all on his own or he has to split it with a friend, but Fred wasn't paying anymore. The men also discussed the means. So basically discussed the actual act itself. How is this going to take place? So one suggestion was uh, carrying out the hit as Fred and his wife came out of a Broadway show, but the rabbi worried about his own safety. So he put the kibosh on that. Um, another plan. Batman. 
Hmm? Reminds me of Batman. Right, right. I've been kissed by a rose on the gray. That's the song that's about his parents being killed. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So. Ba-da, boop, boop. <laughs> so. So. Um, another plan was for Len to stalk Carol on one of the trips that she would often take with relatives to the Short Hills Mall. Len asked uh, what to do if Carol wasn't alone, and Fred said, just shoot both of them. <laughs> so if i'm coming out of a broadway show don't shoot me only shoot her but if it's more than one of her family members just shoot them all (laughs) okay you're normal you're going to hell yeah like one-way ticket please the third method discussed was a drive-by shooting uh but none of these ideas panned out and fred kept saying he wanted it done in the house on a tuesday night when he said he'd have the best alibi and when his son matthew would be out of the house So the first attempt on Carol Newlander's life actually came in mid-October 1994. So it was a Tuesday evening. Len attended his customary Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that was actually at the Rabbi Synagogue. And then he met Paul Daniels in a nearby parking lot by a shopping center that was close to the Newlander residence. Len left his car in the parking lot and the two men got into his other car, which was a dull collar, nope, dull colored, nondescript junker car. car. Why can't I talk? What the (laughs) fuck is happening to me? (sighs) A dull colored, nondescript junker car that they thought would be less conspicuous. But the thing that's funny to me, not funny, haha, but funny, like you're a dumbass, which I mean, I guess, hi. Um, you're going into a really nice neighborhood where these really well-off people live. You yeah. think that a junker car is going to be less conspicuous. It's actually the flippy floppy opposite. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do I know? Um, so when Len arrived at the house, he saw Carol Newlander sitting in her car in the driveway. So he approaches her. He said, hi. He told her that he had a package, something to give to the rabbi and asked if he was home. So she said, no, but why don't you come in the house and wait for him? So Len follows Carol Newlander inside. Once inside, he was supposed to signal for Paul to come rushing into the house, bearing the weapon, which was going to be a lead pipe that Len found propping up a back door of his apartment complex. But at this time, things weren't going according to plan because Len couldn't find Carol's purse. And the rabbi had specifically instructed him to steal the purse so it looked like a robbery attempt because she was bringing these receipts home from the bakery. The logic was it would probably be yeah. in the purse. We were trying to make those connections, right? So Len decided because he couldn't find her purse, he was going to abort the attempt. So he asked to use the bathroom. So he asked her to use the bathroom. And after he was done, he hands Carol Newlander a envelope, which happened to be empty because it was just trying to be, it was like a ruse. And then he leaves. The next day, Len states that when he saw Fred, he was livid. He said his face was red. His eyebrows were raised. He was absolutely furious. According to Len, Fred grabbed him by the collar of his jacket and screamed, there are no more Tuesdays left. You better do it or you'll be dead. And if you don't believe me, just try me. Well, then do your damn self. (laughs) For real. So Rebecca Newlander Rockoff, who is Fred and Carol's daughter, had heard of, quote, the bathroom man was how her mother referred to Len. So the two of them, Rebecca and Carol, would talk almost every single night on the phone. Like I said, Rebecca was living in Philly um, and they chatted all the time. They were very, very close. And she kind of just mentioned that, oh, this guy came, dropped something off for your father, used the bathroom and then left. It was weird, but you know, whatever. Happened to mention it. And then on November 1st, Rebecca happened to be on the phone with her mother when a knock came at the door. (gasps) Carol told Rebecca that it was the bathroom man back again. 
And after Rebecca heard her mother welcome him into the home, they got off the phone call. Minutes later, Carol was dead. After the testimonies from both Len Genoff and Paul Daniels, there were noticeable inconsistencies in their stories, including the amount of money given to them by Fred Newlander as the down payment, um, which of the two men handled the murder weapon, how many times Carol was struck, and where the weapon and clothes that were worn the night of the murder were stashed or disposed of. The defense attorneys also poked holes in the testimonies based on the reputation of the men. So Len was an admitted habitual liar, and he was an alcoholic, and Paul was a diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic who also had a substance abuse problem. So once the closing arguments ended, and the jury begins to deliberate on whether or not Fred Newlander was guilty of capital murder, they were unable to come to a agreement, and after more than seven days of deliberation, the judge declared a mistrial. Because the defense was able to poke enough holes in the testimony of the two murderers, Mm -hmm. admitted murderers, that they couldn't feel comfortable enough saying that Fred Newlander was uh, behind all of it. So Fred Newlander, however, was denied bail and ordered to remain in jail until his second trial. Now, because of the publicity around the case, this first trial was um, televised on court TV. So now Mm. there's even more of a media circus surrounding it. The second trial did indeed get a change of venue. So second trial, which began on October uh, 2002, so a full year later, was held in Monmouth County. Um, Matthew Newlander, the couple's son that was an EMT on duty the night of his mother's murder, testified in the second trial. He said that when he saw his father at the scene, there was not one speck of blood on his clothing. The crime scene was violent and incredibly bloody, but Fred Newlander was spotless. Matthew also noted his father was eerily calm. Matthew stated that leading up to Carol's murder, his parents were growing distant, colder, and saw each other less and less. Two nights before the crime took place, Matthew states, quote, I witnessed an argument between the two of them, the likes of which I had never seen before. There was nothing prior to this that even remotely resembled the argument they had this evening. The argument, Matthew said, ended in conclusion that their marriage was over and that divorce was imminent. So the two of them, Carol and Fred, kind of came to the conclusion at the end of this argument, like, we're not even trying anymore. This is done. Multiple witnesses state that Fred Newlander was on site at the synagogue Tuesday, November 1st, but that it was very rare for him to be seen on site that late at night. He sat in on a class being taught by a junior rabbi, something that he had never, ever, ever done before, according to testimony, and he was also seen by members of the choir who were practicing there that night. It was almost as if he wanted to make sure he was seen by as many people as possible in order to solidify his alibi and have it be corroborated by multiple witnesses. So earlier when he told Len, make it a Tuesday, he knew that that's when a lot of stuff was going on at the Mm -hmm. synagogue. So if he was there working late, air quotes, my friends, working late, there would be plenty of people who could see him there. Yeah. It's tricky, 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 tricky. So after a month of testimony... Uh, In this second trial, the jury began deliberations, and this time, after only 27 hours, Fred Newlander was found guilty. The jury panel decided not to recommend the death penalty, however. Newlander was sentenced to serve 30 years to life at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton. He attempted to appeal, but was not granted a new trial. Fred Newlander is still incarcerated in the New Jersey State Prison. 
Um, and go fuck yourself. Leonard, <laughs> uh, Len Genoff and Paul Daniels, who both confessed to fatally beating Carol Newlander, were each sentenced to 23 years in prison. They were both eligible for parole after serving only seven years. Len was released in January 2014, and Paul was released in October 2014. And that is the story of the murder for hire plot mm. of Carol Newlander by her rabbi husband, Fred Newlander in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Holy shit. I've never heard that story. Good job. Thanks. It's great cray one. I will tell you, like, I felt like super at a loss for what story to tell this week. I was legit racking my brain. I know I have a list, but I didn't, honestly, you didn't, didn't feel, feel like, like it. fucking doing any of the ones on my list. <laughs> and I kept looking at my list. I'm like, I, I don't want to tackle... Oh, yeah. Not ready for that one. We can beep that out. I don't know if you know how to beep. Yeah, go. Um, I, I don't want to. Do- <laughs> you figure it out. I don't want to. I don't want to do that one yet because that's big. I want to make sure I have plenty of time to do that. Oh one. yeah. And then the, the rest of them are just like ideas I had. I just didn't want to touch those yet. I was say I do have an idea list of just yeah. And so like I said, and I wanted to do something that was kind of like a. I wanted. A, I wanted my mind to travel back home again, and um. So I was trying to figure out good New Jersey murders, and that, that was, was a the good one. one. Up. I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, a scandalo, lots of scandals. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was this, <laughs> <laughs> that was this week's Bang Bang Mori. Also, can we talk about the fact that Jovi yawned, and then I yawned, and then you didn't yawn? I didn't see yeah. you yawn. Yeah. I wasn't looking. I was looking at my notes, <laughs> and I also happen to be a sociopath, but that's okay. So I so I guess that's it for tonight. Yeah, yeah, we good. We good? Everybody good? Everybody's good. Good, good. Good, good, good. So, um, thank you guys so much for listening to Bad Crime Stories. Uh, like, subscribe, rate, review, uh, tell a friend, find us on all socials. So, Instagram and Twitter at Bad Crime Stories. You can shoot us an email, bedcrimestories at, nope, bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. Bedcrimestoriespod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. P-O-D. Um, remember that band? Yeah, that's what I think of every time yeah. you say P.O.D. Yeah. Not gonna take you on. Is that P.O.D.? No. No, 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 no. P.O.D. was the one that sang that, that We Are, We Are. The youth of the nation. Yeah. yeah. No. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Wow. I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. All right, so. <laughs> said you had enough coffee? crime stories. I don't know. I actually had two cups today, which is rare. Like two big things of iced coffee. That's rare for me. Um, so yes, bed crime stories, POD at gmail.com youth of the nation. And, um, is that all I usually say? I think that's all I usually say. Mm-hmm. Tell a friend. I'm sure you said that already. I don't know. Just do the things. Do the things. Do the things I always tell you to do. Um, which also includes being kind to one another. Please do that. I think that that's it. We love you all very, very, very much. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. But until then, sweet sweet dreams. dreams. Like fucked up today. I don't know what's wrong with me. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.